Let us pray. Dear God, in the stillness of your presence, may we continue to share the gifts of our thoughts, the blessings of our love, and the graces of your mercy. Amen. I'm recalling quite clearly and quite vividly uh, one day long ago when I was a boy and my friends were disappointed with me. We were walking from school, a good five miles. But on that day, I would not kick football with them as we used to do. I would not stop to pick up berries from the bushes along the way home. And I wouldn't, and this is sacrilegious, I wouldn't take out my catapults to aim at the birds that presented themselves so tantalizingly close. And I was a very good shot. The problem is, I had been nominated for a school prize. So, with lips pressed against each other, with eyes narrowed to slits, I strolled determinedly on the way home to give good news to my grandfather and grandmother so that they could give this good news to my mother and father so that this good news would bring a pair of shoes, a new uniform for me. Today, in our continuing reflections on Romans, I want us to answer this simple question. What is good news? What is the gospel? What do we think of when we are talking of good news? And frankly, if you look at events in our recent past, you probably think this is completely inappropriate. I do not blame you. We have just engaged in one of our annual earth-shaking, time-warping activities, bringing the clocks forward. But more seriously, I think we have had just a budget statement that has confirmed the precarious nature of our individual finances and of the national finances. More worryingly, in the recent past, events in North, America, in North Africa and in the Middle East have shown us the depravity, the inhumanity, the viciousness of brutal dictatorships. And even more worryingly for some Christians is the fact that there apparently is no other response except more violence, more power to contain dictatorships, to contain institutional evil and cruelty. The world is kind of trapped in this uh, violence, as we have seen 
in what is happening in Libya and as we have seen probably in what has happened before and will happen uh, in the future as long as we remain in control of the earth. All this is also happening at a time when Japan is still counting the toll from a devastating earthquake and a deadly tsunami against a backdrop of the unfolding nuclear disaster at Fukushima nuclear reactor. More locally, you wake up, you read in the newspapers, a woman has disappeared. A few days later, she's found dead. Yesterday in London, thousands of people protesting in the streets against spending cuts, the squeeze that it is bringing to people's lives. The list of human tragedy and toil and failure and misery is endless, whether local or international, whether personal or whether it is communal. But we stand here today to proclaim the good news. We stand here today to announce the good news. Together as a church, we have been commissioned to bring good news. Just to reflect on the time that Paul wrote his letters, probably at least 30 years before any of the Synoptic Gospels were written. And you can imagine, despite the quite comprehensive nature of the way these letters have been written, that he was under fire, he was inspired, he was yet this boyish enthusiasm, almost like the boy Vincent, to tell the good news. And the Roman Empire, a century before and a century after Christ died, stretched from Scotland to Sudan, and from the Atlantic coast of Portugal to the Caucasus. It was such a vast empire, and Rome was the bustling capital of that vast empire, that huge empire. Yet Paul, we now know from the two weeks that we have been looking at Romans, did not address a large community, not even a large church. But Paul is writing, we have been told, to a small mission community, probably more or less like Cambon Church, probably smaller even it was a community of hosts and guests, a community of strangers and friends and neighbors and people from different faith persuasions, people with conflicting political affiliations and people who support the spending cuts, people who abhor them. It was such a mixed community. It was a community like this. It is this community to which he is writing for support to announce the good news, to proclaim the good news. And what does this mean in our context today? Strangely, from what has been read by Alison, 
death seems to be central to good news. Dying seems to be very important in the eyes of Paul to this good news. And I think therefore this backdrop of the reeking miasma, the death, the misery that we have in the world today is indeed appropriate when we want to look at what is the good news. We are told in the passage clearly and unambiguously by Paul that the death of the sinful self is important before we have the birth of the good news. And this death and birth symbolism, I want us to examine it in three parts. One, the baptism into Christ. Two, to be buried with Christ. And three, to raise, to be raised with Christ. Simple mottos to live by in our lives as Christians. I am baptized in Christ. I am buried with Christ. And I am raised with Christ. Can we say that together? I am baptized into Christ. I am buried with Christ. I am raised with Christ. And what does it mean to be baptized into Christ? The invitation from Paul is through these rhetorical questions. What shall we say about sin? Paul is not going to name individual sins for each one of us. It is a simple question. What are we saying about sin? And shall we continue to live in sin? Oh no, we know that. Once we know what sin is, we can't continue. That is what it means to be baptized in Christ. It is to die the old sinful self. Second, what does it mean to be buried with Christ? This is a very intimate image. To go into the grave with Christ. It is an image that probably his congregation would understand because the concept of sharing graves was quite prevalent at that time. But it is a final act of togetherness. Paul says we are united with Christ. And the word that is used for being united has suggestions in the Greek, uh, in its Greek origins of being grafted into Christ. Like when you make lemons grow oranges by grafting an appropriate branch. This is what we are being called to do today. To get into that intimate relationship with Christ. We should bring an intimate relationship to ourselves as we share as a church. And finally, what does it mean to be raised with Christ? I think this is probably the climax of Paul's message. It is clear that when we have died to the magnetic field of sin, you can't continue to live in it. The kingdom of Christ is incompatible with the kingdom of sin. There are two magnetic fields 
that do not live together. It is not for the church or for anyone to point out what is sinful. The dark shadows that Peter talked of in our lives. The dark cells that we engage with every day. At national level, at international level, and at the individual level. When we are raised with Christ, we have said goodbye to an old self. We come alive in dying. It is quite telling for me that Paul addresses issues of the human soul and its relationship with God instead of the wider political issues, the wider social issues, which are important. But he doesn't. And for us today, it is important to examine the human soul we don't hear political and environmental crises that would make for a fiery sermon. We don't have here a catalog of weaknesses and how to cure our failings. We have a simple invitation, like Ian said last week, that we cannot make ourselves right by God. We are just given this righteousness as a gift as an act of mercy and grace. We are invited to escape the dark shadows of ourselves. We die to sin and we become alive to Christ. During this Lent season, as you read through the Bible in 40 days, as you give up on chocolate, as you face up to the shadows in our lives, are you prepared to die to the magnetic field of sin and be alive to the kingdom that Jesus Christ is offering us? Then let your life be transformed so that it can transform the lives of others. One died for the good of many. One life in common lived with love, lived with passion, and humility. One church in this country acting out its mission in love and with passion is enough to transform the lives of many. We are called by God's grace to embody the new life in the service of righteousness. We shall not be weighed down by sinfulness we shall not be named by the things that we are even afraid to name in our privacy. My dear brothers and sisters, on this day, which is our AGM day, when we reflect on the joys and the wonders, the works of this church, will we be that life Will we be that church today, tomorrow, and every day? Amen.